WCNC Charlotte. This is Flashpoint. Thanks for joining us here on Flashpoint. I'm Ben Thompson. This week, a new city council takes office here in Charlotte. A swearing in ceremony is on Tuesday. The new council will be a mix of some familiar faces and some new ones. Joining us today, Tark Kari, who will be starting a new term, and Larkin Eggleston, who's departing council. Uh, these two gentlemen have come on quite frequently over the last uh, four or five years. Uh, trying to be, I, I think, a bipartisan vo voice uh, for city council, a Republican and a Democrat, sometimes bipartisan, sometimes not so bipartisan. Gentlemen, thanks for coming on. We appreciate it. Glad to be here. All right, Larkin, I'll, I'll begin with you. Um, you're part of a council sworn in back in 2017, the sort of millennial council. You guys got lots of fanfare, lots of media coverage, even from some national outlets. Um, looking back, how do you think council has done in your time? I, I think we've gotten a lot accomplished in the last almost five years now because of these delays in our second term and, and our next our last election. I don't think that it was necessarily influenced so much by our age. There were a couple of things we did early on, like trying to make local government more accessible to the community, things like live streaming our meetings. There are a couple of things like that I think you could point to and say those were maybe influenced by our age. But we really worked on the issues that folks around Charlotte and people of all ages um, and our older colleagues all saw as priorities, things like housing, things like the environment, um, accountability for our police while also continuing to make sure we're prioritizing community safety. Um, there's so many things that, that we've accomplished in the last five years. I'm certainly proud of the work we've done. Uh, we have often done it on a bipartisan basis and we've done it across those age lines. So. That was certainly the story when we came in, but I think we got to work pretty quickly on stuff that transcended our generation um, and, and got a lot done. Uh, Tark, how about you? How, do you? how do you feel about how the council has done over the last two terms? Yeah, I mean, we Larkin and I have talked about this frequently where it's really first and foremost a tale of two terms. The first two years was really, you know, I like to think of it as peacetime. And, um, you know, we, we got a bunch of stuff done, but at the same time, it was, you know, it was not as contentious as what the next three years of an extended term had in store for us. And I think that second term of three years that is a week away from ending right now um, really both included aspects of things that were out of our control, national movements uh, uh, from the BLM protests to the pandemic and things of that nature. But they also have this kind of angle of self-inflicted wounds where how we decided to kind of at some points throw the police under the bus and, and have our, our own wound there or the UDO, which I'm sure we'll talk about. And, and again, how we made it more controversial than it needed to be. Uh, I, I just think that there was a, there was a lot, there was a lot of stuff we could have done much, much better that really made the last, the last three years very, very painful. Um, you, you mentioned the UDO. Let's go ahead and talk about that. After back and forth, uh, city council passed the UDO. It lays out sort of the groundwork for how the city is going to develop over the next several decades. Hundreds of pages long. Really, the biggest sticking point was allowing the duplexes and triplexes, even quadplexes, to be built in neighborhoods that were previously single family. Uh, opponents say this, uh, that it could hurt council's goal of getting more affordable housing and would cause more gentrification, drive up property taxes. The final vote. Uh, six to four just recently. Um, moving forward, Tark, what would you like to see happen? Yeah, so, I mean, now that we've moved past that one, I'd like this next term that'll be short uh, to, to hopefully be a lot less contentious. Um, 
on this front, we're past that now. I don't see any route where we're going to go change it. So I think my big hope, and this is the thing that I, I've had a problem with the entire time, uh, it wasn't that I was against uh, single-family zoning being abolished. It was that I, I didn't think we did the proper homework to understand what it could do to gentrification, to displacement. It needed an impact analysis uh, done on it, and it was just refused to do that. So now my big fear is is that we're going to go into this next year and we're going to have these displacement councils and that we've appointed, and they're not going to do that analysis as well and just going to start saying, well, we need $100 million to have this program happen and that. And, and then we will have created a problem stacked on top of another problem of our own making. So my hope is we actually do that homework to understand what the implications are going to be. And, and we don't just start throwing money at, at a self-inflicted wound. Larkin, this UDO is one of your last big votes uh, at the last uh, city council meeting. Um, how do you feel about its impact going forward? I think it's going to be positive overall. Obviously, it's not going to be perfect. Um, I'll disagree with Tark on a couple of things, and I think we'll agree on one. I'll disagree with him on the fact that it's not going to change. I think what he was implying is it's unlikely that it's going to be overturned somehow, but I do think it's going to continue to change and evolve as we continue to gather more information, as we continue to see the impacts this have. It is a living document. It will be changed by this next council and future councils. Um, as, as the councils know better, they'll do better. Uh, it, it couldn't have possibly been perfect right out of the gate, but I think we got it really close to right. Uh, I think one thing he'll agree with me on is that Allison Craig has done an incredible job of leading the kind of final charge on this to the finish line. Um, I think she's absolutely proven herself and should be our permanent planning director. She's currently our interim planning director. Uh, everybody, all the yes votes and the no votes gave her kudos on the night of that vote. She's done a great job. She's put, we've got a lot of faith in her and I think the community does too. Um, the, the other thing I have to, to disagree with Tarek on is he, he said we didn't consider doing more due diligence on the displacement impacts. Um, he refused to stop using the phrase abolishment of single family zoning. Charlotte has never had zoning categories that are exclusively single family, and this does not preclude the creation of single family housing. So uh, that's a bit of a misnomer. We simply disagree on that. But the fact is, as you said, it's hundreds of pages long. We mostly on council got divided over one page of it, more or less. So uh, for all the things that are right in it, there was one big one where we divided. Um, I understand Tark and the other no votes point on that. Um, I think we just disagree on the certainty of the impacts. Uh, and we've got to do everything we can do to mitigate those possible negatives. But there's a whole lot of positives in this. And I think they outweigh the, the downsides. Tark, was it just an issue of semantics? Yeah, no, Larkin either knows exactly what he's doing and he's falling into the trap that their side had, or he doesn't, and that's even more dangerous. But the point is, no one ever said abolish single-family housing, right? They, they all kept, they're trying to, we all said, no, that's not what anyone's saying. Single-family homes will still exist, but it is indeed the case, very black and white, that where today single-family zoning protects single-family homes in certain areas, that won't be the case going forward after this. So, I mean, it, 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 it's exactly that. I don't know how to explain it otherwise. Well, um, you explained it well in the uh, political mailer that went out with a wrecking ball taking down a, a single family house. Exactly, uh, that's exactly <laughs> correct. You, you can't have this conversation without talking about affordable housing. It's, it's all part of the same thing. According to the city, we need an additional 32,000 units of affordable housing to meet current need. That means more than about 55,000 Charlotteans don't currently have an affordable place to live. 
the city says they can't do it alone and that nonprofits, businesses, and residents must all work together to address the need. Uh, Larkin, understanding this requires a holistic approach on things and there's not any one magic bullet. Uh, for, for the next council, um, what would you like to see happen with affordable housing? It, it has been a holistic approach and it has to be a, a 360 approach. We've seen the private sector step up. Uh, we've stepped up by increasing the affordable housing bond. I think Tark has some good points that he frequently makes around how we can make housing more affordable for people by getting people into jobs that give them the opportunity for upward mobility. So it can't just be from the supply side, um, but it does also, but it does partially have to be from the supply side. And I think that is where those of us who were yes votes on the UEO see this as an opportunity to create more housing and simple laws of supply and demand um, we'll say that that in the long run and in the aggregate will help us. Will there be some some negative impacts in certain areas? Uh, undoubtedly, but I think in aggregate it helps. We need more housing. We just don't have enough. Um, but again, it can't just be building more housing. It has to be preserving the housing we have and increasing wages for people through upscaling and things like that so they can afford the housing that does exist. Tart going forward, affordable housing, what should the city be doing? Well, we've, uh, in my opinion, probably done enough in the last three years of the UDO to, to, to put a big dent in it and hurt it. Um, I, I just truly believe based on everything we've seen, looking at Minneapolis, who's had the same uh, ordinance in place, uh, abolishing single family zoning for four years, they, they're seeing uh, negative impacts towards affordability, while again, they're seeing that it doesn't create enough uh, units to move the needle. So very concerning on that front, but it goes back to where I really think we, we need to be on affordable housing is a tool towards upward mobility and sustainability. It is not in itself a destination. And too often we treat it like, okay, we're going to solve affordable housing. No, you use affordable housing to achieve these outcomes. And that means again, like Larkin said, and I've been saying this for a while, it, it is a, it needs to be a full wraparound approach from everything from transportation to childcare, to training, workforce training, uh, to food and clothing. I mean, everything you can imagine necessary for someone, whether it's an upward mobility path and there's somewhere affordable for them to live, or it's the ability, you know, with the mental health connectivity that, that leads towards these issues that we have, that we look at it holistically. We cannot do this in a silo. Coming up next, we talk transit. That's right after this. Welcome back to Flashpoint, where we continue our conversation with two members of Charlotte City Council. Uh, let's talk transit, because that's something that this uh, last city council has not been able to tackle. Tark, Tar do, do you, knowing that this is going to be a short term, do you see this next council being able to, to tackle transit in a large, large, meaningful way? I, I'm, I'm going to remain hopeful that we can do something but i'm i'm just highly skeptical that anything is possible given where the plan is and what the movement on it for the last several years have been i mean just take take account of it we've got all this light rail right that has just been the same plan um just repositioned with a fresh coat of paint over the decades um and we've got towns that are not on board and broken promises with the red line uh we've got uh, the General Assembly, who is not going to fund it and is not going to be in a position to even allow it to be on a, a referendum. We've got the feds where we don't understand um, exactly where the, the sources of funding are there. And, and more broadly, we've got a voter base here that is there's no chance, even if it made it through all those steps, in my opinion, that they'd be like, yeah, let's sign one of the largest checks in history 
towards, you know, some old dated plans to that aren't even going to move people. We need real plans that focus on where how people are going to be moved in the future. And that's what I hope the body of work that we start to attack uh, for this next term. Larkin, would you describe yourself as optimistic about transit going forward or at least the way that city has talked about it? Or, or do you think that sort of we missed that 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 boat and we're going to have to take a, a new fresh look at it? I'm hopeful, um, not necessarily that something's going to happen in the next year, but I, I wouldn't say I'm optimistic. Um, unfortunately, I have to agree with a lot of the, the challenges that Tarek outlined. Um, it's not just one hurdle we have to get over. It's seven or eight hurdles, probably. Um, I don't know that there's any change in the railroad's position on allowing the use of the red line. I don't know that there's, without that, I don't know that there's the support from the northern towns. Um, without that, I don't know that there's the support from the legislature to allow this to go on a ballot. And until we give voters in Charlotte the confidence they would need to vote yes, I don't know that there's the political will amongst the electorate um, to pass it. So I, I certainly hope that we continue to move forward. I think, unfortunately, it's probably not a one-year turnaround to, to clear all those hurdles. I think it's probably, you know, two, three, four-year hurdles uh, to, to clear all those hurdles. Um, but we can't we can't just throw in the towel because it's going to be as hard as it's going to be and it's going to take as long as it's going to take because it, transportation mobility around this community is only going to get tougher as we continue to be one of the fastest growing cities in the country. Um, technology is going to continue to change those things. So the plan needs to be a living plan. It needs to continue to evolve. Uh, and a lot of this is not just about moving um, cars or trains. It's also about things like sidewalks, uh, greenways, and, and those are critically important too, just for every day, um, just for people in their communities, not even necessarily commuting to and from work, to or from school. So we've got to continue to put money towards those things, regardless of what happens with trains or roads. Uh, but we, we can't take uh, our eye off of this objective because it's going to be a critical need one way or the other. Larkin, you've been a big champion of these social districts, um, and one of the last votes you, you took was uh, supporting their their sort of uh, creation. Uh, what would you like to see happen next? Right As of right now, we don't have an actual social district area where you can openly drink with a cup out on the sidewalk. Um, what, what would you like to see happen next? Yeah, and Raleigh just launched theirs this week, I believe. Um, so I, I do hope that this continues to be a, a priority of the council. I, I, well aware that it does not deserve to be a higher priority than things like affordable housing, transportation, community safety. Uh, but council has proved before and hopefully will prove again it can walk and chew gum at the same time. This is something that can help small businesses who were decimated during the pandemic. It's something that can create destinations and, and generate more uh, visitors to our community and get people to move around our community and explore different parts of the city and try new small local businesses. Um, I think what happens next is you've got a couple of neighborhoods who already sort of had the wheels turning on this with anticipation of the vote we were going to we took a week or two ago. Um, I think they'll come forward with plans pretty quickly that hopefully the city will review and approve pretty quickly so that these can be implemented and we can demonstrate that this is not going to create all of the problems that folks feared it might, um, but it will generate some economic impact that's positive. And I think one of the things that's going to be critically important, and I've already heard some of these neighborhoods talking about it, is their plan for making this a more sustainable um, opportunity. And so we've seen in some cities that it's increasing the use of single-use plastic. We don't want that. We've already heard from some neighborhoods who've created uh, partnerships or discussed potential partnerships with companies like Crown Town Compost to use compostable cups that will be collected and actually composted as opposed to just ending up in the landfill. All right, um, gentlemen. There's things, 
Just, yeah. let, let me just get in one last <laughs> question because we're, we're about out of time. Um, finish the sentence for me, each of you. Um, in this next council, the top priority should be X. Tark, you go first. Just moving past Larkin. It's going to be hard. <laughs> uh, it should, the, the, the priority should be let's get back to basics. We, we've had a lot of self-inflicted wounds. We really need to go back and think about regular infrastructure, potholes, the, 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 the job of the city. Larkin. We were, this last council was able to put a bow on a lot of big things before uh, this term ended. And so I, I think to some extent, I agree, it's it's gotta be back to the basics of housing, community safety, transportation, focus on the basics. There's only gonna probably be nine months before the campaign season starts again. And so get done what you can and, and don't let um, the short term keep us from continuing to make progress. Gentlemen, thank you both for coming on. We appreciate it. All right, more Flashpoint after this. Welcome back to Flashpoint. A local small business owner celebrating after what he calls a miracle. More than $80,000 arrived in his account just weeks after a WCNC Charlotte Where's the Money investigation. Our story prompted a top state official to apologize for the ongoing Medicaid issues behind his delay in payment. This all stems back to North Carolina's decision to hand over control of its health insurance program to five private companies. WCNC Charlotte's Nate Morbido shows us how executives and bureaucrats alike are finally paying attention to this man's struggle. It took the involvement of a state lawmaker and reporting by myself and other journalists across the state. But the money is now flowing here in Concord. And not just what insurance companies owed a small business owner, but penalties and interest too. North Carolina's new look Medicaid program almost broke Corey Pena. There's no rhyme or reason. When I reached out to Nate initially, it was, I'm thinking I'm gonna go bankrupt, have to sell the house. But he credits divine intervention for pulling him back from the brink. From the time of the news story, I can't run a business like this. We've had a tremendous response uh, quickly. He says his deposit sheet details a flood of long overdue Medicaid payments, along with penalties and interest paid by multiple insurance companies. Hey, Nate. <laughs> How you feeling? I'm feeling good. Yeah? I'm, I'm, I'm in a lot better place than I was a few weeks ago. The grand total, more than $82,000. But this is more than just money. And it's unjust. I'm talking to presidents and vice presidents. I'm not talking to a customer service rep. This represents accountability. Did he apologize? Oh, profusely. Oh, profusely. Pena is now uh, hearing is apologies great. from insurance company executives and NC Medicaid's deputy secretary. He did everything right, and we just did not, um, we did not deliver. But his concern remains, not for providers as much, but instead for patients, kids specifically. And it hurts me to hear these stories. Stories that continue to stick with him. Their children aren't getting the care in a timely fashion or at all. Despite those anecdotes, North Carolina for Better Medicaid, funded by two of the health plans, concluded patients themselves had a favorable view of their health care at the one-year anniversary mark. Overwhelmingly, beneficiaries are approving of their health coverage since the transition. Executive Director Sarah DeBose cited the results of a recent online survey, which included an oversample of 150 Medicaid beneficiaries. It's great to know that your beneficiaries at the end of the day are receiving the care that they deserve. Pena isn't quite convinced, but personally, he feels a change. There's more news, there's more press, 
maybe there's a little bit more pressure to be more proactive. A good chunk of the money he spent months waiting on is now in hand. Are we there yet? No, but we're getting pretty darn close. We as a company can breathe now. Which means he won't have to turn away the kids who rely on him for care. Patients he helps overcome cerebral palsy and spina bifida. The state has penalized the health plans when they don't live up to their end of the bargain. Medicaid records show the five health plans have paid a combined nearly $1 million in fines so far. Nate Morabito, WCNC Charlotte. Nate, getting some results. Good to see. More Flashpoint after this. Folks, come interact with us on social media. Let us know what you like. Let us know what you don't like. And of course, keep in mind, you can always listen and subscribe to our Flashpoint podcast. Yep, we have a podcast too. Find it wherever you have uh, get yours. And we'll see you back here next week for another edition of Flashpoint.